Hi guys, welcome to the Deep Learning Crowd podcast. I'm your host, Reese Luxford. I'm super excited for the first show and good to have you amongst the crowd. To kick it off, I'm speaking with my first guest, Holger Bartel, serial entrepreneur and founder of Real Rate. We'll be discussing who Holger is and what Real Rate do, what is hybrid AI and the importance of it, XAI and the concerns we are facing. We'll also dive into entrepreneurship and Holger's journey into AI so far. Holger is a storyteller, natural leader, and awesome guy. I'm super excited about this podcast. I hope you gain a lot of value from it and enjoy the show. First of all, thanks, Reese, for having me at your show, especially since I'm your first interview partner. So it's really an honor. Much appreciated. I am a serial founder. I've been founding my first company already more than 20 years ago. That was in 1997. Of course, that was when the first uh, internet boom began. So that was a great time to be a founder. So sometimes you have to be a little bit lucky, sometimes you're not. At that time, that was a really good start. Yeah, and as the later startups, um, yeah, that, that was a fintech. Um, at that time, the term fintech wasn't even born yet. So it was something like a robo-advisor, which is a hot topic. But yeah, maybe it was a little bit too early at that time. My background is uh, economics. Uh, so I studied in Berlin, Humboldt University, and uh, later on I made my PhD in statistics. And that's where I got first in contact with neural networks. But at that time, that was totally different, to be honest, because you did not have such huge amount of data, but I got interested in uh, that one a lot at that time, definitely. Yeah, awesome. So throughout your career so far, so how many businesses have you founded? So that's three to four businesses and three of them are live still, which is <laughs> quite a good quota since 90% of all startups closed down, down after some years, uh, which is quite normal. I would not blame anyone. Uh, you just need to try it and sometimes you're lucky. Yeah. Well, one thing that I found that you and I had in common is that, you know, you're into business with your brother and I work also with my brother and your brothers, which I found real interesting. So you've got a company called Real Rate, which is the company we want to talk about. So tell me a bit about how this situates with yourself or your role within the business and also your brothers. Yeah. So I'm very happy. I have three brothers and one of them, that's the older one, that's even a twin brother of mine, but he's just five minutes older than me, so not a lot. But uh, when we are starting up a new idea, it's always us as a team starting it up. And if it works out, we grow a little bit more from that. Although I've been the one writing the software for RealWake, which is an AI software to create uh, financial strength ratings, to be honest, I am not the tech guy. I'm the business guy. Uh, so... Um, I'm the one talking to investors and writing all the business plans. And yeah, but sometimes you have to do the coding yourself. And at the time I had to. And if my brothers find some lines of code from me, they shake their head and say, OK, we need to improve upon that one. But it is running and we got the first revenues and the first investors. So that's a proof of concept, at least. Incredible. Incredible. So tell me about RealRate. What is RealRate and what do you do? So RealRate is a rating agency and we are creating company ratings, financial strength ratings. Mm -hmm. But 
it is totally different from the big rating agencies you might know, like Standard and Poor's and Moody's and Fitch. You know, they have tens of thousands of employees and nothing is automated. It's always a manual a human-based review process, which is good in itself. But if I start up a new idea, I always want to automate it later on. So putting some effort in in the first place and then later on really scaling it up. And it's not just scaling it up. In my uh, last job, so in between, I was um, appointed actuary at a big German insurance company. Uh, so I was the one responsible for creating the products and talking to the regulatory agency and to the rating agencies. And one day we had a meeting and our big boss came in and just for two or three minutes and telling the uh, agency, uh, listen, I'm expecting you to give me a triple A rating. Otherwise, there are plenty of other rating agencies out there. And then he left. And that was the moment I understood maybe the rating would not be really independent, but there would be a conflict of interest. Uh, why? Because uh, the companies pay the rating agencies to give them a rating. It's so crazy. It's like a pupil would ask, pay his teacher and ask him to give him a grade. And uh, that's so crazy. That's how yeah. a billion dollar industries is built. And uh, we at RealRate, we don't like it at all. And we would like to change it. So RealRate, you could say one thing that I, when we spoke about this initially, I was like curious. So how do you make money? How do you generate money from this? So the business model still is quite similar to the old classical rating agency model. There's one thing we are reversing. So we create a ranking of all the companies within one industry. For example, we started out in Germany, since we come from Germany, and we've been rating all 50 German life insurance companies. And then once we got that rating, we reach out to the top rated ones and we offer them they could purchase a subscription of the real rate seal of approval. But we do not have a conflict of interest anymore because we've done the rating already. We just approached the best rated ones. So that's a very, very simple trick how to avoid a big conflict of interest. Understood. What we also touched on last time we had a chat, I found it really interesting that the vision for you guys was not just to stay within the German areas, for example. What's the vision for the business, Olga? The vision is quite a little bit bigger, to be honest. Yeah. Early this year, we've been founding RealRate Inc. in the U.S. So it's the first time I've been starting up a company in the U.S. Awesome. I'm very happy about this. Uh, at least officially having a seat in Santa Clara. Uh, I've not been there yet due to COVID, so it's strange times. And indeed, we would like to enter the U.S. market. So just not serving Germany, but US, and not just serving life insurers, but banks, pharma, telecom. So really scaling up over different industries. And that's what we will be doing later this year. Amazing. I love the vision. If you can make it in America, you can make it anywhere. So that is one massive positive that you guys are attacking that country. So to relate to what my podcast is about is the fact that it's related to AI, your business. So what type of AI are you working with at Real Rates? So we are using AI, but first of all, I must admit, 
I'm not a big fan of buzzwords like AI. So I made my PhD in statistics. And to be honest, like 95% of AI is pure, simple, old classical statistics. And then you add a little bit of a network and then you call it AI. And uh, what I learned when raising money is, yes, you should definitely call it AI. And that's what I do uh, because investors like it. But to be honest, we have a lot more AI in it than many other companies that are pretending to use AI. So indeed, we have a, a neural network, uh, which accounts for the business accounting logic because we are reading in the annual business reports of the companies. And they are freely available, especially in the US. It's great. There is a database from the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission. So every stock listed company has to publish his annual balance sheet there. So we can just go there and grab all the data, which is a perfect playground for a tech and AI company. But in contrast to like um, AI applications in computer vision or self-driving cars, there you have millions of millions of data points. Because if you take a photo, one photo itself is uh, made out of maybe tens of thousands of data points. But if you have an annual business report, you might have 100 key figures and you get them once a year. So that's not high frequency data. That's not millions of data. So um, we do not have what you call deep learning. And I know the podcast is about deep learning. So what we do is AI, but not deep. So it's something like shallow learning. So the term does not really exist. Uh, let, uh, let me call it shallow learning. That's an approach to deal with uh, sparse data. And that's what is uh, really important. So if you have something like uh, one-shot learning, that's a new approach. You have just one example, one photo. And like a child, you gives them a photo and he understands, oh, that's a dog or a, a kitty cat or something like that. Just one snapshot and he can infer from that. So the idea is you need to have some structure and then you can learn from few data and generalize it and uh, create results. And that's what we do. It's, it's a hybrid approach, uh, mixing some given structure, domain knowledge, expert knowledge, with um, classical neural network learning model. Understood. So now you're talking about hybrid AI. This is something prior to this, I wasn't too familiar with, you could say. So I was looking at and doing some research. There is um, some different definitions and it seems like uh, it's a conversation that different platforms use. And it's, it's something that I can't seem to find the pinpoint answer to what hybrid AI is though. Why is this? To be honest, I'm not quite sure whether there's a clear-cut definition of this. First of all, if you talk about AI, you know, intelligence is in there. All the social sciences, they do not even agree on how to define intelligence. Of course, you have some tests, but it's a very difficult concept. And maybe in future, the neural networks will help social scientists to really understand how the brain and intelligence works. And now the term hybrid AI is even quite new. For me, it's important. Hybrid, it means there are two ingredients. The one is the old classical network. And the other one is a symbolic structure, like a causal graph, a knowledge graph, or a set of definitions or formulas. So well-encoded structure, it's encoded by humans. So we do need to do the work before hybrid AI can start. 
And at RealWeight, what we do is we have some experts writing down some equations on how to compute the financial strength of a company given the numbers from the annual business report. And then we go to the AI tool and we taught our AI to decode that structure into a graph. And indeed, a neural network, if you have a look on it, it looks like a brain, but it looks like a graph too. So the neurons, they are the nodes. And in between, there are edges combining the nodes. And if you have an equation, you can say A is equal B plus C. So in a graph, this would mean you have two nodes, B and C, with arrows pointing to A, going into. And then you have a structure, and the structure is given by humans. But in the second step, the network would start learning, optimizing, and finding the optimal weights on the edges between these nodes. So you can give them the structure. It's easier to learn with few data, but then the network would choose the optimal weights or connections between the neurons. So with hybrid AI, what are the benefits of using this in business? Ah, there's some benefits. Uh, so our main benefit, two main benefits for us are first, we can run it with few data because we have already structure. The second one is AI quite often is a black box. So if you use it for a classification problem, it can perfectly say, so this is a dog or this is a wolf, for example. Perfect in classification, really no errors nearly. But if it comes to explaining why and having interaction with humans, that's what AI is meant for finally. That's, that's a terrible thing because it's a black box. So even scientists, they, they try to understand, but they can't. For example, in um, the application, application of self-driving Uber cars in the US, two years ago or so, we had a fatal accident. So a Uber car hit a bicycle driver and she died, which is a terrible accident. And of course, everyone asked, why did the car decide it in a sense to hit the bicycle driver? Of course, it did not really decide, but it did do it. And so what could you do? You could read out all the sensor data and see how it's flowing through the neural network with hundreds or thousands or millions of neurons, but you can't explain why. But if you have hybrid AI, like a causal structure, you can say, if A, then B, and that's the way we humans think. So the structure helps us explaining the results and interacting with humans. And that's very important because we have good AI, but we do not have a big acceptance of AI in many fields like uh, social interaction, banking, finance, automotive. A lot needs to be done there. Yeah. So this is now going into the topic of explainable AI. Now, this is obviously something we touched on before, which I found really interesting. And you seem to have like a lot of information on this. But you did mention it, obviously, there are concerns because we need to explain as to why, for example, that Uber hit that person on the bike. Why did this occur? But are there any other concerns and problems that we're going to be facing with explainable AI? Definitely a lot. So in the European Union, we have a new program coming up uh, because they fear discrimination with respect to age or gender or race, ethnics, religion, something like that. Um, for example, as another example, 
assume you have your bank and you have an AI implemented to decide whether a customer applying for a loan gets the credit or whether he or she is rejected. So in general, which is just a statistical fact, male people earn more than female people, which itself might be a sort of discrimination, but it's a statistical fact. So as an outcome, you might reject female people more often than male people. And you do not want to do that if you're a politician and you do not want to do that if you're a bank manager, because that would be discrimination. So having models explaining, so you could divide it into several steps. You could say, okay, you earn more because you're a male person. That's a statistical fact. But later on, you could have a separate step on deciding on the creditworthiness, which does not take into account the gender directly, because that would be discrimination. But if you want to, you can have it indirectly, or you might choose of gender not having an effect of all. Uh, you might lose some money, though, because it is an important explanation of uh, creditworthiness, though. But you have more freedom to account for all that fears which are coming up. Yeah, of course. Okay. Now, what approaches are there to make AI explainable. This is something we spoke about before as well, and you, I really liked your answer. There was two ways you mentioned of doing it. Uh, so uh, if you make AI responsible and fair and explainable, there's one ingredient. You need to give input to the model, which is human-based, which is a little bit difficult. So in the real rate case, we put in financial valuation logic. Uh, in other cases, you would put in other domain uh, knowledge. Then what we do is we have a nice graphical representation. So we've been talking about graphs, like causal graphs, which variable is a cause for an other variable that is affected by that one. Um, indeed, what we can do, since our networks are quite small, we can plot them. And so we're plotting a small brain with some neurons being red, which is a relative competitive disadvantage of that company. And some others are green, which is a competitive advantage over the market average. So if we have a good rating, we could, could say to Allianz Insurance Company, you got a good rating and it is because you have a high technical profitability or you have a, a high amount of shareholders equity on the other hand, you have some hidden losses on the asset side of your balance sheet, so there are some offsets. So when I talk to the insurance managers, I can explain them what's going on within just three minutes. And indeed, that was the, the main wow effect I had because I was appointed actuary of a big insurance company myself. And I should have known all the relative advantages and disadvantages. But when I run my own program for the first time, I really learned more than I knew before. And then I thought, okay, so maybe this would be a good tool for, not just for me. Yeah, of course. What I wanted to sort of touch on then, so your business is within the insurance sort of industry. So well, how else can AI help or boom or innovate the industry itself? What other ways of doing things do you think that we could do that? And also, would you ever implement it within your business model? Yeah. So first, starting from the real rate approach, we will not stick just to German insurance companies. We will be rating U.S. banks, U.S. telecoms, uh, all of that. That could be useful for changing how managers think. 
it will be useful how risk managers think. So even if they do not subscribe for the real way seal of approval, sometimes I get some calls, oh, could you please explain what's going on? And then I do. Uh, and they say, oh, that's so great. And so it's for free. So just uh, if you want to advertise with that good result in order to talk to your customers, then you need to pay. But you could go to realrate.ai, just click on the report and you see the graphs and you could learn from it. So that's totally different than the normal approaches uh, with uh, deep learning. And that's an approach I like in finance. So rating companies and even rating single persons, that needs to be explainable. So our approach uh, would be great. But of course, having an explainable Uber car explaining who, what he does would be good too. Yeah, of course. No, I agree. Because when you, um, right now, the idea to make AI models explainable, so we do it, we're making it explainable by design, putting in some structure in the first place. But normally it's interpreted afterwards. So you calculate some sensitivities, for example, um, talking about the dogs and the wolves again, um, you can change some uh, parts of the picture and learn why the AI says this is a dog and not a wolf. And that was very, very interesting because uh, the answer was not like uh, they have different uh, shapes of the ears or something like that. <laughs> Indeed, the answer was if the background is white, it's a wolf, otherwise it's a dog. So why that? Because wolves are being photographed in open nature where snow comes down and dogs are rarely uh, photographed open nature. So, and once you understand that, you see, okay, the model is working great, but maybe that's not really the way you want the model to act. And that's a very good example. And if you would have had an explainable model in the first place, you would have said, okay, no, snow, that's not the main reason why dog is the wolf and not a dog. Yeah, no, well, that's a really interesting way of how they sees that because for of someone who is not technical, I would wonder how uh, a machine or how you want to put it, detects or discovers or understands uh, the difference between two animals. Scenery is not something you would come to mind necessarily, but this is why technology is advancing so well because it picks up on everything, which is really, really cool. So obviously your background, your profile, You've never done AI. You've never worked within AI, from my understanding, until recently. No, really not. You're right. So I just learned statistics and then we applied it to AI. That's what we do. Yeah. So what made you want to get into AI or what came with the idea of pushing the AI vision? So deep in my heart, I'm an entrepreneur. And if you're an entrepreneur, you need to look for new things. And I'm coming from a teacher's family. And sometimes I'm teaching even myself, risk managers uh, in insurance companies. So I really like to learn. Uh, I like to learn statistics. That's what led me to optimization. And that's what led to AI. And indeed, we could perfectly demystify AI because from a mathematics point of view, they would tell you, oh, it's just a nonlinear optimization problem with quite a bunch of parameters you have to optimize in order to minimize the target function. Wow, that's it. That does not sound really sexy anymore, but that's what deep learning is. And all the backpropagation and that strange things, 
that's what we learned at school. So if you want to climb a hill, you need to uh, compute the derivative. And once the derivative is zero, you're on the top of the hill, then learning stops. So uh, it's not really intelligent, intelligent indeed. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I think you're being humble there. But, you know, what you've done where you're taking this company in its uh, direction is really, really cool. And I'm happy to have the opportunity to speak to you about some of your uh, experience and your skill set. You, you, you are a serial founder, serial entrepreneur. So you've got a few other companies. So what are your other companies? Yeah, I have another company and another brother. So that makes DigiOptions. That's a platform for digital options. Sometimes it's called binary options. So that's quite new. And that's coming from my entrepreneurial approach, really trying new things. That's like a betting platform on the blockchain. And, you know, all the classical exchanges, they are totally centralized and they are so slow. So, if, for example, New York Stock Exchange wanted to design a new contract uh, trading the value of Bitcoin, that would take them three years to do so. And at DigiOptions, uh, we would like to democratize that approach. So... A private person like you, you could go there and create a market you would like to bet on. So you could place a bet whether Trump will be re-elected next time again or, or whether the next SpaceX spaceship will have a good start or which would be the next vaccine to be uh, regulated and allowed uh, for Europe, something like that. Or you could take a bet on whether your son will be winning your local uh, football tournament. And that's really changing the world how we do it. And you would have a market created by the customers. We call it user-driven. And I think that's a nice idea. We will be live quite soon. So just in simple terms, what is blockchain? Because we, I'm, I'm sure we'll have a few listeners who will know what it is, but what, what is blockchain? Because I think it can be a bit complex, but is there a way to simplify what it is? Yeah, uh, indeed, I like to simplify it. And so if I tell you, it's simply a database, which is open and decentralized, running on several servers at the same time. Many tech people would tell, oh, no, that's not right. But if I would like to explain it in very simple terms, that's all it is. And the special feature about blockchain is you can't go there and delete anything. Once you wrote it, it is there, it will stay forever, which is important to build trust. If you place a bet, you don't want someone to go there and delete your bet. So that's a new approach and why many Crypto exchanges have been hacked, but that's just because they are still centralized. The idea is really to build trust and to create something that is unstoppable. You can do that using blockchain. Yeah, awesome. So I was just curious because of the business that you have, is there a way to implement in, in uh, DigiOptions any sort of AI that we've discussed? Is there anything that you could implement to the business or does it not need that? Yeah, and, and indeed, um, if you talk about blockchains, the programs running on the blockchains, they are themselves called smart contracts. So it's like being a little bit intelligent already. Uh, but of course, writing on the blockchain is very expensive and computing on the blockchain is very slow. So until now, you can't run a deep neural network on the blockchain. So you would combine it. They call it, you would have an off-chain network, neural network, 
writing the final result on chain on the blockchain. So that's how many people would do it. And what we do is we have a smart liquidity bot, like a market maker running there. So if you would open up the market for your son winning the local football tournament, uh, we would have our uh, market maker starting and providing liquidity because that's, to be honest, that's quite a very special market and there would not be much liquidity in the first place. So we solved the liquidity problem. And that's quite smart. A little, little, little bit of AI is in there too. Awesome. And then there was a, a third company that you have. Yeah. So the first one, that was the one we founded more than 20 years ago. Yeah. That's not existent anymore. Uh, but fortunately, we made a spin-off, and that's uh, running quite well. So that's Expert. That's an online marketing company. So again, it's based on mathematics and AI again. Because of former times, what you had is, you had a marketing, senior marketing specialist tuning the parameters on Google Experts, selecting the keywords to be uh, used for Google AdWords when you put in, uh, for, for example, if, if you, it's Mother's Day, you want to buy some flowers, you go to Google, you put in buy flowers and then you will get some advertisements. That is fully automated by Expert and that's indeed a huge problem because we have millions of words that could be put in into the search engine. And then you need to find the optimal price, which is high enough to get attention, but not too high enough because otherwise your customer would not make profit but loss. So that's a big optimization problem in itself. And we use AI there too. Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously looking at uh, someone of your experience, you know, you've been through it all, you know, you've worked your way and now you're in the uh, fortunate but well-earned position of being able to found companies, lead and run ones of your choice, especially with your family, your brothers, which is a scenario that, well, to be honest, not everyone probably could do with their family, mixing business with pleasure, but you've managed to, it seems that you've managed to make it work. What's the secret? <laughs> Yeah, I learned it very early on. I had uh, I have a good friend who taught me how to start up a company. I was very shy 20 and 30 years ago, and he showed me just do it. And maybe you're lucky and it, it, it's good. And I learned a lot from him. And he's in the advisory board of one of my companies right now. So I think you need to have a good friend pushing you because especially the tech guys, the nerdy guys, you know, they are, can be great, but they are too humble. They don't show off. And you need to learn that a bit if you want to convince customers or investors. I don't like that too much, but that's a little bit like the world works. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. What advice would you give to someone who's looking to found their company? They've got an idea. What advice would you give them? First, have a good friend with you. Second, start early on when you have no money, because no money means you can't lose all what you have. Ah. Because later on, I have some friends, they earned a lot just having a regular job and you can make it vanish within half a year. So really starting with nothing is totally fine because you're forced to convince investors, which helps you to focus on the ideas where there is a market need. So you don't need much money, especially in these times. So all you need is 
you need a little bit of Google, a little bit of Slack, a little bit of PyTorch, and then you can start up your AI company. Yeah. You also told me a, a very good story about, I think it was RealRate, or your experience with RealRate in terms of the programming side. Was it that your brother gave you a book about Python? What was that story? That was a really interesting story, but I can't remember how it started. Yeah, so uh, I'm not the developer. Still, I had, in order to, to create a prototype, I had to do the software myself. And I think four or five years ago, my youngest brother, so he's 10 years younger than myself, and he's a great developer. And in the meantime, he's CTO of RealRate. So I'm very happy <laughs> that I have him at that position. For Christmas, he gave me a very nice present, which is uh, learning Python for data scientists, something like that. And he told me, Python, I will love it because there are a lot of modules for statisticians and it's really huge and simple to read. And indeed, that's great. It's not fast, but it's easy to program in and it's easy to read and having clean code is much more important than having fast code because you're working on the code day by day. You are never finished with a program. It's a daily business. Yeah, and at that time I learned Python. And three years later, I was so proud, to be honest. I, I Sorry, I need to tell this. I was one of the three winners of the PyTorch AI hackathon. And PyTorch is the uh, AI language based upon Python. And that was uh, the fair, explainable AI software we are using at Rewrite. And I was so proud because at that time I could tell my brothers, look, I'm a developer. Too. <laughs> <laughs> that is exceptional what you've done. And the fact that you did it in your own time, just from a book, is incredible. And not a lot of people probably have the time and the effort ability to do that. So how, how do you find the balance to running these businesses, learning, leadership, everything that you do? How do what's the secret? And how do you find the time and the balance to do this, all these things? So that was a brutal cut. I quit a well-paid job in the insurance industry. And then I spent three years like living in a dark room and developing the software. So that was not really what you would call a balance in life. <laughs> But it was worthwhile and now we have it and now I try to have more balance. Now we're building up a team, we have a remote team, that's what we learned from COVID. So we have the brothers here in Berlin and we have great developers in the UK, in Nepal, in Peru. So, and now um, finally, uh, I don't have time to do the development anymore. So I need, I'm back to all the stupid business. <laughs> Stupid, you say. No, well, that's how the business runs. They need people like yourself. But, you know, it's always better to probably understand the development side. Like they say, if you want to become a, I think it's a franchisee of uh, McDonald's, you have to have uh, worked every job in the McDonald's uh, staffing or something like that. And it allows you to really know how to lead and run the business. So the fact that you've been hands-on, you've got the business running on the technical side yourself, it's always going to be a massive plus. And uh, your leadership qualities will shine through because of that. There was another thing that I found really cool about yourself, that the company RealRate was named one of the most promising insurtech companies, and you was voted top 25 CEOs of 2020. Tell us about this. Uh, so the first award we won 
with Redirect was uh, being one of the most promising German AI startups. And that was a total surprise to myself too. Uh, we didn't apply, so that was an independent jury, uh, some professors from Germany and some business guys deciding upon that. Uh, but that was something like the breakthrough because uh, later on I got a lot of uh, requests uh, for giving talks, uh, giving interviews, writing articles and something like that. And investors got interested in us. So that was the breakthrough because we could say what we have is a totally new approach of AI. And that could be good, but that could be strange. Not many people like it, but once you... Uh, have someone saying that's that's the future, that's one of the most promising approaches, then you can convince them and uh, we convinced ourselves too, to be honest, because we always have some doubts. We give it a try, but you can never be sure. Yeah, no, of course. Now I'm sure. Well, yeah. And the fact that it was in 2020 when you was awarded this, surely that must have helped you through COVID as well. Yeah. COVID was not a big problem for us, but of course, it's a big problem for the world and the, all the lockdowns. And that's, that's a tragedy. But uh, we really, for the first time, we set up a totally decentralized company. We have no office where we meet. We are all working remotely. And that's why I could start up the company in the US too. So um, I always try to be on the positive side and to see new things we learned from that. And indeed, we learned quite a few things. Uh, I would not have done that otherwise. Did you notice a, a real negative shift with companies during COVID with your real rate product? No, that's no problem for us because the companies, they use the real rate seal of approval in order to build trust with their customers. And that's a marketing instrument. And marketing is still working, although we have COVID. So we are lucky in a sense, we've not been affected at all. Yeah, awesome. Look, thanks for uh, taking the time to speak with me. You know, I've, we've had a few conversations. I'm really glad to got to know you, uh, your vision, your businesses, your technical ability. You know, although you don't pride yourself as a technical person, you, in my eyes, you know, you are very technical. Um, I think you're being quite humble, but of course, I guess when it comes to leadership, there's nothing wrong with being humble as well, rather than being egotistically driven. I really appreciate your time. I'm going to try to think of some interesting questions to how I'm going to wrap up with my guests to try and make it a little bit interesting to see what your responses are. And maybe it will show who, what sort of person you are. So you're stranded on an island, Holger. What are the three things you take with you? Maybe it's a tropical island. Otherwise, I need some covers. So uh, I'm a thin guy. I need to be well covered up. I would uh, like to have something like an axe to grab some nice uh, coconuts from the trees. And then I need my uh, laptop to work remotely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so there's Wi-Fi there, yeah? We'll put some Wi-Fi there for you. Uh, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> well, amazing. Is there anything you'd like to add for the guests to listen? Anything else that comes to mind? I'm very happy to be in your podcast. It was your first episode. I liked it a lot, I hope. The other listeners uh, liked it too. And yeah, thanks for your nice questions. Uh, it was very enjoyable. So thank you.
Yeah. Well, thanks very much for being my first guest. You know, I'm really, really happy to get this going. I hope it was okay. I'm still learning on the job, as you could say, but you know, you have to break the ice sometime. And I'm happy that I was able to find a leader like yourself in the industry to take some value to our networks. Well, thank you very much, Holger. I'm sure we'll speak further soon down the line. Looking forward. Thanks, Luis. All the best to you. All the best.